No Guts, No Galaxy is recorded in front of a live studio audience. This is an adult podcast containing adult language. Consider yourself warned. Hello, Mech fans. This is Duncan Fisher. And today I have a special treat for you. A few days ago, I was interviewed by a Fedcom News Service sports writer who covers mech matches. He was a fine sort, the kind you'd expect to find on the Innersphere's premier gaming world. FCN was gracious enough to provide me a copy of the interview, and today I'm going to share my two favorite questions and answers. So enjoy this short trip towards getting to know me just a little bit better. Mr. Fisher, in your opinion, what is the best part of a mech match? I'm glad you asked, Rob. My name is Patrick. Right you are. But as for your question, I'd have to say that the middle of a match is when I'm most into it. That point where anything goes and nothing is for certain. The end of a match has only one outcome, and the winner is decided. But I live for those brief minutes in the middle where any mech on the field could score a lucky hit. Or a mech jock could reach a point of inspiration and do something really special with a battle mech that nobody has seen before. For me, that's the best part of what you can expect in the Solaris arenas. One final question, Mr. Fisher. Could you give us your opinion of the recent concerns being raised regarding arena barrier safety measures and the question of continuing to allow live spectators for matches in the Steiner Stadium? Well, Rob, Patrick... Yeah, that sounds right. As I was saying... I believe in public safety and in the safety measures put in place by the Solaris 7 Gaming Commission. I think all true Solaris game fans know that there is no way to 100% guarantee that everyone will remain safe while watching a bloody, violent, metal-mangling mech fight. And I think they like it that way. So if you're hinting that the mech matches aren't safe enough for fans to watch live, I've got to disagree with you, Rob. Personally, I think the current detonator grid system in the Coliseum works fine. Besides, if I know only one thing, it's that here on Solaris 7, the fans are just as much a part of the action as the mechs, the jocks, the wagering, and, well, Duncan Fisher. <laughs> well, that reporter didn't like everything that came out of my mouth, but after the interview, I think he left with a better understanding of why we love mech matches and why I love Solaris 7 and its fans. So remember, folks, safety is everyone's concern. And a good barrier goes a long way towards preventing accidents, no matter what the activity. This has been the Duncan Fisher Minute. The Duncan Fisher Minute is written by David Martin, with additional material by George Ledoux. Produced and performed by George Ledoux and Voices in My Head Productions. Based on characters created by Ferret Bodwin and George Ledoux. Any similarity to persons living or dead is ridiculous. You probably thought it was normal. Just a little off. The truth is, at one time I was. But now I'm a robot. Hey everyone, Darren, aka Bombadil here. Just wanted to again say thank you for all of your support. It is always appreciated and very much essential for our survival. As always, if you have the means, please head on over to our website at nogutsnogalaxy.net and make a simple donation or even click through our Amazon link before you do your online shopping and get us a little kickback that way. And again, if you have any family, friends, or coworkers that you think might be interested in Battletech or MechWarrior, please help spread the word. 
Today, we have the second part of a special three-part interview with Brian Ekman, creative director at Piranha Games. So sit back and enjoy. You're listening to the Game Casting Broadcast Network. Live from the outreach studios around the world, this is a No Guts, No Galaxy podcast. And now, your host, Phil, a.k.a. Sean Lang. But one thing you were talking about as far as immersion uh, with the uh, skirmish mode, you know, being a sort of realistic battle sense, um, cockpit glass. You guys introduced this. Let me just clear this up to the nerd in me. It's actually pharaoh armor, but it's, uh, you know, see-through. No, just It's not really glass. I, you know, Translucent. I but let yeah. me clear this up, too. It's also make-believe. Whatever, dude. <laughs> this, is, this is the real world, man. Sick bird. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, Whatever, I mean, if, if we were to do it for real, real, uh, we would you wouldn't have glass at all, uh, and you'd be sweating your your butt off inside of a of a sealed cockpit. So hell uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> you know, and you'd be looking through video monitors. Uh, it was actually a choice we made early on. Uh, Dennis and I sat down and we we looked at what was what was lore and what was best for gameplay and art direction. And we just felt that having the glass was just a little bit more familiar for the average player. Um, so anyhow, I've, I've since seen it done in other games uh, well, and I was like, hmm, that's actually pretty cool. So maybe maybe we could adopt a different way of doing it. But right now I think we're, we're kind of stuck where it is. Yes, it doesn't follow canon. I apologize for that. Um, but you know, that's that's a whole nother actual discussion because there's two different viewpoints on that. But uh, I'm not going to get into that. But uh, it's just like mechs exploding, right? Stack holding. All right. Now, personally, I love it. I know a few people have had some issues with the cockpit glass, but I'm all about immersion. Um, I wish. I, I mean, I know you guys would have done it if you could, but I wish it was in it from the start because then there wouldn't be the comparison. But I just, I love it. Anything that makes it the game more immersive to me. Um, and honestly, when we get into battle and stuff, I don't even notice it. It's, it's when I'm walking around before battle or whatever and specifically looking at it. But uh, I love that factor. So what's the feedback been like? Yeah, the feedback's been, you know, it's been mixed. I think, like you said, some people are just used to perfect vision, and so it's been a hindrance. It's definitely something that uh, we're going to make optional. And, uh, you know, for all those guys out there trying to make movies and things like that, we apologize. That was definitely, it was kind of an oversight. I, I, you know, not allowing people to turn it off when they're filming. It was like, oh, yeah, how, you know, we missed that one. Uh, so we really want to make sure that we get get that uh, option in so players can turn it off and get back to filming all those awesome videos. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's not, it doesn't really affect gameplay. Sometimes I've seen it a couple times in, uh, you know, in the city map where I'm like, oh, you know, I wish it wasn't there. It was just kind of blocking my vision. Um, so I think we've got some tuning to do. But overall, I'm really happy with that immersion effect. And I think anybody who appreciates that loves it um those core guys who are the you know i think i always think back to like quake 3 
where they would turn down their resolution to the lowest setting. They would turn every graphical lighting option off. They don't care. All they want is 100 million frames per second. They just want to be the fastest player. For those guys, I can understand why it could be frustrating adding something like this at this stage. And uh, we definitely want to address their concerns too. Well, one of the issues with that, and you guys already cleared it up, was the whole being able to edit the user.cfg and get rid of the cockpit entirely. And that's been handled. Um, you know, I, you know, when it first went in, I was like, cool, you know, it's in, I like it. Uh, I didn't think it was uh, too overdone, but you guys did tone it down. Um, I do enjoy it. I will really enjoy it once like, uh, cracking and, or some type of, you know, uh, even more, um, uh, it'll be interesting to see how much, you know, obviously, but, uh, I liked it in general. Um, but what other types of immersion features, I mean, are you guys considering? Cause when we talked to Russ last time, it was like, well, what would you guys like? And I mean, if you talk to anybody, um, you know, when you guys did the 2009 trailer, that whole scene where the mech warrior, the world is falling out from underneath his feet. His mech is saying, you know, like GTFO or you're about to die, you know, klaxons are going off and, you know, the, his mech and smoke, even though it may not add anything to gameplay wise and or I think people would just, I don't know, squee like little girls, man. Like, it would be awesome to... Phil would. Yeah, I would, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're Mexican and shot out from underneath you. You just got, you know, you, you just got taken out. Instead of it just, boom, it goes right to spectator camera, man. It, it would be awesome to just, that sequence of events, just to go on, um, you know. Now, of course, Brian, you've mentioned to us before, in regards to what Phil's talking about here, ejecting... Um, that you're not going to have, you know, somebody eject like in that trailer going up because of smoke and mirrors and other issues with within the gameplay. But Phil is just saying some kind of ejection, something where you know where you're not necessarily going uh, thousands of meters up in the air or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I would love, I would love to add more immersion, immersion that way, and put in more graphical effects and uh, you know continue to improve it. I think. Uh, once we're once we're done with community warfare and all the UI work associated with it, we're gonna be looking at the HUD and taking a, an artistic pass on it. Um, that that's where we can kind of take our first stab at offering things like that. Because it's just pure uh, immersion at this point, we're still on critical paths, so we're still focusing on just prioritizing features that are are, uh, are the most important to getting towards that 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 community warfare uh, feature set. Uh, and if it's gameplay related, so if it takes engineering time, um, their time is dedicated elsewhere, and that would. Uh, if it's artistic, like the cockpit glass, you know, we had some free bandwidth uh, in between making mechs, and we're like, hey, let's just get this in. Um, cockpit glass uh, breaking and shattering, you know, if a gameplay engineer has a little bit of time just to put in the hooks, uh, doing the effects and things like that wouldn't take that long. So, you know, I think I would encourage uh, somebody to create a nice post if it's not already up on the forums about what they'd like to see, and we can kind of create a wish list and, and, and build towards that now is that all client side you know i mean i know the cockpits are client side as far as it loading you know it's not server side um if you were to add effects would would that be the same case uh anything yeah for the most part effects yes are uh, client side i think there was a post that uh Matt Craig put up recently about uh, weapon hit and hit detection. How uh, you would see explosions, think you've hit something, but really the server hasn't has said nope. Uh, so client, uh, the effects are driven by the client just to minimize the bandwidth, so you can kind of uh, you know get erroneous feedback there. But uh, yes, yeah, it would. 
So speaking of new additions to, uh, to the game and immersion and so forth, base turrets were recently added. What's been the general feedback so far on base turrets? Well, both that and the, um, the base revamp mm-hmm. uh, have been, you know, pretty positive. I think you're gonna you're starting to get a taste of some additional strategy within the game, which is fun. You know, I think here's a, some a nemesis, a, a, a non-player interactive object that you gotta gotta pay attention to, and this this is just a you know just the first little bit in our first kind of test of, of where we're going with bases for um, the planetary assault modes, attack and defend. We really want to to bring in those ancillary uh, objects and kind of push a little bit more into that total warfare battletech concept where there's other stuff on the battlefield to worry about. Um, and also, we're kind of building towards that um, fortification mentality where uh, players, when they do take control of a planet, they're going to want to invest some time in their base to make sure that it's got the best defenses and the best equipment because when they, they go up against another team, you're going to want that that extra firepower at your disposal. I've run into them a few times and you quickly realize taking unnecessary damage, you're like, oh, screw this, let the let the long-range missile boats <laughs> bombard the damn things and uh, not to get in too close. Uh, now, obviously, you guys introduced them and they're not totally OP. You know, you guys took a very similar approach to when you introduced uh, the consumable airstrikes and artillery strikes. Are there any future types of AI or even new types of turrets being uh, introduced that are going to be even more lethal, I guess? Uh, we're going to look at implementing as many of the weapon types as possible. Uh, ammo-based, uh, obviously uh, energy-based, missile-based, uh, ECM potentially um, to help create protective bubbles to protect your base. You know, really, at the end, you just kind of kind of nailed it there. What it does is it, it creates a need for the scout to go out and lock that turret and, and get rid of it. And the missile boat's the perfect role to do that. And so we're trying to continue to improve our role warfare pillar. It's, we're always going to be working on it. For as long as we're working on this game, we're going to be working on every single pillar. But it does really add to that pillar because now there's uh, another strategy. Like you said, you know, it's an attrition battle. The minute you take one point of damage from a turret, you're at a disadvantage over the opposing team. So it's really important that players start adapting their tactics to deal with this this other threat and as we we slowly introduce them right and we're slowly balancing them we kept them low powered for now we'll slowly increase their power based on 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 how the game balance is going and obviously we'll add more tactics and different types of turrets and different maps you know the smaller maps will keep it to shorter range turrets and the bigger maps we can explore longer range turrets you know which will then up the overall strategy uh, and increase the need for players to adapt based on the map that they're playing, which will feed into the launch module and next selection. Now looking, you know, maybe further down the road um, than anytime soon, have you guys ever thought about like an actual uh, mobile mobile HQ, something maybe like an escort mission or uh, something that's moving that, uh, you know, interacts with the, the match? Yeah, I, oh, absolutely. I mean, we have no and we have endless designs, endless ideas for for matches and things like that. Uh, the key is just to slowly introduce them at a rate that makes sense that doesn't destabilize the gameplay. And that's why we look to refresh the existing modes and add more depth to them rather than adding a new mode. Um, so that's why we added turrets and such to assault was to kind of make the mode a little bit more complex and a little bit more engaging uh, when we add attack defend again same thing it'll be an asymmetrical game mode so there's going to be a defender and an attacker and just that strategy um, will change how people uh, use their mechs and 
builds and loadouts. So, one of the things that pops in my head is uh, Battlefield Four has this train that goes yeah. across, like, and it's a capture point. And so the first thing that popped to my mind was, you know, either on River City, you've got that, you know, uh, or Alpine or something. I could see like a train, you know, or something being to where it goes from oh. one end to the other, and you have to. One of the maps actually you know, has a train track going through it, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just one of the, you know, um, you've, you've got uh, Canyon Network and stuff. And so that's, as soon as I thought about, you know, an actual mobile, uh, mobile HQ, uh, <laughs> is for, you know, gameplay, you know, features like that. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I guess we'll see more with Attack and Defend, and obviously we'll get more info when, you know, we get a little bit closer to that. But the next topic is sort of in depth here, so we want to go dive into this. You, you guys introduced the Tier 1 weapon modules. So the next question we have is, are there plans for any other types of weapon modules beyond just range modifiers? Yeah, we're just scratching the surface on the weapon modules. Uh, again, these are gameplay items. We want to be very careful um, how we introduce them into the ecosystem. We don't want to mess with the metagame in some dramatic way. Um, so we're being taking a very, very... Uh, staggered, careful approach. Uh, we do have uh, ideas outside of just range modifiers, uh, more flavor modifiers and things like that, functionality modifiers. We're exploring them right now. And once once we get through this initial set of tier one weapons, then we'll start looking at those more special specialized features, uh, future modules that will uh, be applied to weapons and other aspects, equipment and things like that. So they're definitely, we definitely have ideas they're definitely in the pipe and uh, now that we've kind of started this process it's a it's a new form of content for the player to consume and we plan to keep adding them on a regular basis okay so this sort of leads into the the lengthy part if you will do you guys foresee any changes to the overall module system in the past you guys have talked about you know possibly actually having specific modules like for instance you uh, you you know you have x amount of weapon module slots per mech and uh you have x amount of you know um sensor and and targeting and you have to choose because right now you know obviously you have three or four or five and you can put anything on there um do you have any comments on that yeah oh absolutely we have an entire plan um this is phase one just getting more weapon modules out there uh the next phase uh obviously is adding more content and then the kind of the third phase is going to be re uh, overhauling the module system concept as a whole you know right now uh, we want to we we want to separate consumables from modules uh, we want to make consumables their own entity they have their own place um and so we don't want uh to kind of mix those two together it was a uh, kind of a, a temp solution uh it, and it had gameplay balance associated with it you had to kind of make a strategic choice between a module and and something that got consumed but we really feel based on the usage of consumables people like them they use them a lot uh so we want to give them their own home and we want you to kind of make choices for consumables so here's a certain number of slots for those and you have to make a decision on what you're going to bring uh with respect to those and we want to go back to the original vision for modules which is these are imagine like a circuit board right you're adding you're plugging in functionality into your mech uh, ability functionality so we want to get back to that pure uh, essence of what the the module system is and what that means is exactly that slots so say a type one type two type three four five you know module slot and say weapons are type three and uh, depending on the mech you might have two type threes three type threes so it also allows us to add flavor what we call micro micro flavor uh, and micro role warfare into these mechs uh, we can further uh, distinguish each variant from another by changing up 
the, the modules. So yes, much deeper, much more robust, and many more modules will be able to be equipped to mechs. Um, how many exactly and how many types we're still working out. Um, but it's definitely something we, we, as soon as we started designing the tier one weapon modules, we're like, hmm, we, we need more. This is, you know, the people are not going to sacrifice the power that they have in their current modules uh, and the consumables for some of these tiers. However, the long-term vision for the metagame, we'll see players needing all of it. I was going to say, you just said it right on the nail on the head there. Um, why trade a arty strike for a tier two you know, tier three, um, you know, medium laser range boost. And I think that's, uh, you know, it was a big concern when it first came out. It's like, why should I give this up when these are on the battlefield more powerful right now? And I think that's why, you know, you guys mixing up the modules and actually making specific ones for like, hey, you can take this many, you know, you have to choose which concernable you want. Then also you have your weapons, you have your size, you know, you have those sensor and stuff. And it actually puts an emphasis on, you don't have to, sacrifice you know like you don't have to choose oh one or the other because the consumables right now seem like the go-to that you know like they're just they're better on the battlefield as overall doing like damage or effectiveness but you guys are wanting all of them or at least a, a wide variety to be able to choose and actually be used yeah the interesting thing about consumables too is they actually they become quite the uh more of the end game content uh new players with say less than 100 matches under their belt they're not using them as much because c bills are still quite valuable to them in terms of buying equipment buying and buying mechs and technology um so it definitely on the players who've been around a while um they have a stockpile of c bills it's good they're going to use consumables right now uh, but a newer player you know the gxp cost to, to actually improve their weapons which means they're doing outputting more dps the tier one weapon modules are definitely designed for that if you were to think of a level system say between level one and 50 they're for the people who are in you know level one to 15 that's what they're they're designed for right they're not designed for yourself or or anybody's played more than a thousand matches you wouldn't use these things because they just don't offer the same power uh value uh, uh, for a bang for the buck. Cool. Now, um, will module costs ever be re-examined? For example, you know, for me, for Phil, some people, it'd be more convenient to buy 20 modules at, say, 1 million C-bills as opposed to one or two at 6 million and, and having to switch them around. Is that something you guys have considered? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that will we'll rebalance all the uh, pricing uh, once we get to that new system. And then there's, you know, this is all again, kind of building towards our level system, uh, where we're having things keyed to certain hitting certain levels. So you get that sense of progression. The reason why we only released tier one, we actually have tier two, three, four, five already done is that we can't release them until we get the level system in. Um, but all of those, all of the things we've released, um, you'd actually feel you might, you might make a case for a tier five weapon module that we already have designed over that arty strike. You might be like, hmm, that, you know, two and a half percent or whatever, I can't remember the exact number, but whatever that is, that's actually going to you know, be comparable to having that already strike over time. So I might choose that. But because they're just tier one and they are designed for that lower level player, you won't see it yet. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and you know, in regards to the choosing one side or the other, you know, I've, we've talked, you know, we have Tyler, uh, one of, you know, the top tier players out there and comp teams, SJR, and I've talked to a bunch of them. And it's like, well, would you take these over? And, you know, as of right now, they don't, you know. And so that's why, again, coming back to you guys changing how modules are handled and um, like, hey, you can take an RD strike, but you also, you're, you know, 
because you have to choose. Then you'll have weapon modules as well that you can choose. So they'll actually be used and there will be a benefit to having them. And then they can also choose within those as far as there's going to be range. I'm assuming there will be probably, uh, I'm going I'm to assume some type of fire rate or you know something. Can you touch on that? I mean, what kind of, right now we have range that increases your slight, your, your effective range, but also increases your heat. Is there any other examples of what are coming? Yeah, we'll hit. We're we're designing uh, modules for all the main mechanics: refire rate, refresh time, range, um, heat, and there'll always be a balance. So, uh, generate less heat, reduce range, as an example, right? Or more range, more heat. So there's always going to be a trade-off between the two. Uh, and the problem with that, and the reason why we were uh, we were careful, is we don't want to create two modules that negate each other. So you equip both modules, and you're basically at a value of one. Right. Uh, so we, we have to be careful adding. That's something many. I would totally do. <laughs> yeah. So we have to be careful and there's ways we can do that. We can mitigate it by off making sure like even within a weapon, there's types. So you can only like the um, consumables, you can only equip, equip one type one, one type two. So we might have to use that same concept to prevent players from basically equipping what equates to a, a null gain. I was going to say, um, one last thing with the modules, uh, you know, you, you were talking about role warfare earlier, uh, you know, light mechs, light mechs, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's really tough for the light mech, you know, uh, especially skirmish mode. Um, if you drop as a light mech information warfare, we've talked about that in the past. Have you guys thought about really, really putting that to, you know, the light mechs and possibly even some of the mediums to where they have a lot more module slots to where they can fit stuff like seismic and obviously they'll have you know the ability to have a consumable or two but to really put the emphasis on these are your information gathering mechs yeah absolutely i mean the module system I mean, to be perfectly honest the rigidity of battletech is incredible right it, there's despite having millions and millions of options it is quite a challenge to work within their systems so we introduced the module system to allow us to have a metagame you know, to allow us to add things to the game that fit outside of the canon and don't break the very sensitive, incredibly sensitive tonnage rules and critical space rules that you can't really monkey with because it just breaks everything. And so we we focused on the, we're, how we focus on getting role warfare and information warfare is exactly that. We will start adding more module slots. We can say this gender variant is going to have six, um, you know, six... Uh, module slots and this gender variant will have four and this assault mech will have two and and really encourage players to to play different roles with different mechs and give give the the light mech uh you know the opportunity like you said to carry more equipment that it doesn't have to compete for critical space which is obviously one of the biggest limiting factors of a light mech yeah i mean the reason i bring this up is off the top of my head, you have the, you know, chassis like the Raven 3L or even the Firestarter or Jenner, you know, some that don't need help right now at all. Obviously, they're perfectly fine. But then you do have the, the mechs that don't get as much love, the, the Raven 2X and the 4X and some of the other ones where you could see where just giving them slight buffs is, you know, module slots may, you know, entice someone to take those because they, they're allowed, you know, they're able to gather a little bit more info, have a little bit more of awareness of what's going on, or play a slightly different role on the battlefield, which, you know, offsets the shortcomings of, you know, maybe not having ECM, or that maybe they can't have as much firepower or jump jets and stuff. More like that. options and more customization, essentially, that would allow. Yes, most definitely. All right, so moving on, um, you guys are shooting for, as far as the, the last date we've seen, March 4th, DirectX 11. Can you give us 
first off, will DirectX 11 mean SLI and Crossfire support um, as far as it coming? Uh, not out the gates, but uh, as we go, as after the initial release, we'll be able to add in more support for that. Okay, and then what changes, if any, should the average player expect to see with the implementation of DirectX 11? You know, what is regular Joe Schmo? What does this mean to them? You know, honestly, it's not a whole lot. Um, some people will experience performance boost depending on their machines. If you're running Windows 8, you're going to have uh, uh, better compatibility. Uh, it just overall, the CryEngine that we're using, the version we're using, uh, it doesn't have a fully implemented DX11 pipeline, so it's kind of halfway there. Uh, the glitz and glam of DX11, um, like the particles and some other things that uh, Matt Craig's much better qualified to talk about. Those will come online later, but because they're just that, they're just cosmetic. Uh, we're not um, we're not uh, uh, implementing those right away. There are performance, like I said, there are performance upgrades, and I, I'm I'm butchering it, so I'm not going to say it. And I much prefer Matt Craig comment on it, but there will be a demographic that will get extra benefit. Uh, but for the average player, it's probably going to be doing business as usual. Gotcha. So obviously my next follow-up was, was there, are there any benefits behind the scenes for you guys specifically? Um, uh, uh, there are some benefits if we only had to support DirectX 11, but now we have to support both, uh, which means more dev time and more costs. So it's, it's kind of a, a mixed bag. Uh, we can, we can move towards more features and, and more cool effects, but uh, we still now have to test two pipelines, which you know gets a little, just means everything takes longer. All right, moving on to the next topic, uh, which is the achievement system. Could you give us a, a basic breakdown, a general breakdown of the upcoming achievement system, like how will it affect the player experience overall? Well, what it does is it creates a pretty cool uh, engagement, uh, engagement feature. So you basically have mini challenges, and these are challenges that they're passive in nature, so you don't really have to do anything. You don't have to choose to do the achievement. It will just happen in the background. And they're basically statistic counters. Uh, most of them surround things like get 10 kills, get 20 kills, get 100 kills, get 100 kills in the salt mech, things like that. So they're, they're just mini goals that you try to achieve each match. And if you've ever played any Xbox game or PS3 or PS4 or Xbox One, any console game, um, you're familiar, probably familiar with the achievement system is meet a condition, get a reward. And these rewards can be pretty much anything. Uh, our new store system and our new redeem system allows us to give, gift the player almost anything in our inventory, which is really cool. Uh, so we'll be able to do like max if we want to. But right now we're focused on the very basic ones, the, you know, like I said, the kill counters and the, the assists, and you'll get GXP and C-Bill rewards for completing those, uh, those achievements. Um, I just looked at it today. It was really cool. The UI is almost done. Um, and UI 2.0, it's a list view, kind of like the uh, pilot lab. Uh, you'll be able to go in, look at an achievement, see your current status. So if you need to kill 10, 10 mechs, you'll show you've killed four of 10. Uh, once you complete it, you'll see the, the completion status and then you'll unlock the ability to do the next um, the next achievement. Uh, if you do complete it while you're in game, you get a little flash on the HUD. It's very subtle. So for all those sim, sim guys, you know, it's not gonna go bad in your face like Call of Duty or some other games. It's a little bit more tasteful. And then also if, uh, if for some reason you don't see that, it also shows up in the, in the front end. Uh, and so players will be able to kind of challenge themselves to these uh, to the achievements. And uh, it, 
going down the road, it really offers us just a reason to come back and play the game on a regular basis uh, it, or as because we can add new content. That's that's what's fun about it. It's just another way to give players something to do. I like that what you just said. I don't like the way COD and them do it where you have to hit a certain level just to unlock a damn weapon. That just frustrates the crap out of me playing these games. It's like, you know, and obviously in MWO, we have all the weapons. We have all the mechs, so <laughs> that's good. Jason? Yeah, real quick, um, are, is there any plan to maybe front load some of these achievements so that new players can come in and get a, a C-build boost right up front when it's really critical for them? Because um, a lot of the grind hits new players the hardest when it comes to affording that mech and maybe even figuring out what mech they want to take. Um, so is there any way to kind of not only reward them up front with C-builds, but maybe kind of drop those breadcrumbs early in their play experience so they keep coming back? Yeah, that's part of what we call the Fatui, a very technical term, and oh so fun to say, the FTUE, first time user experience. Uh, the achievement system was a, you know, people have asked us that question, hey, why don't you have a tutorial, blah, 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 other than what we already have. And it's been waiting for the achievement system because what it allows us to do is exactly what you said, breadcrumb the player, that new player. And I can say, okay, go play your first match. Ooh, awesome, here's a, a laser for you bad example but you know what i mean uh go play 10 matches okay here's a million c bills okay play your 15th match guess what here's a mech for you here's your starter mech it just allows us to do those kind of things like you described and uh, allows us to really make that fatui a rewarding engaging experience and it allows us to give those core players the guys that have like 10,000 matches i can actually give you a, a significant reward now i can actually give you you know you know, the gold mechs that we're offering up for sale are just the tip of the iceberg for what we can do with um, the achievement system and giving players who dedicated themselves to a certain, say, a certain role or a certain class of mech. I can say, you know, you're you're like the champion of light mechs. Here, this is an achievement you've done. Here's an amazing reward that's unique. And so now you're going to have, uh, and this is going to kind of date me a little bit, you know, going back to EverQuest days, getting your epic sword for all those people who have ever played it will understand what I'm talking about. This was a, a multi-month quest that took 30 people plus to get it for you. We wanted Many to patient the... <laughs> friends. You needed lots of friends. <laughs> Very many patient friends, yeah. And so that's what I'm going for with this achievement system is I want, um, as we add more and more content, we're really going to give players that amazing goal to achieve at the end of the rainbow. I was going to say, I, I've talked to quite a lot of people, um, and they were sitting on a large amount of C-bills. They had played over and over, but financially, they weren't able to put any money towards the game just because of, you know, real-life stuff. And, you know, but yet they continually come back and continually play, and unfortunately, they weren't really able to, you know, be rewarded. Like, for instance, hey, totally understand, you guys have to make your money selling MC and stuff. Uh, but keeping some of these players here would be awesome to see incentives, like you said. Uh, you know, maybe hey, you hit just you just hit two thousand, uh, you know, matches. Here's a, a mech bay. Boom! That person that's been sitting on a stockpile is now able to have five mechs, six mechs, seven mechs, and as obviously as they progress forward, I think that would be a great incentive for people that may not necessarily be able to financially uh, dump money into the game. But you're saying, hey we appreciate your you being a customer and you being a part of the system because we do need people to put in the time right and and you know and i think that would be awesome to be able to see you know see something like that in game yeah we're looking forward to it and again like all of our systems once they're built we just scratch the surface on them and uh 
you know, we'll be able to add content to it. Now, one thing to note about the achievement system is because it's stats based and we want to have everybody enjoy the achievement system, not just unlock everything the day it comes out, we do have to do a stat reset and archive. So what we're going to do is we're still deciding on the final methodology and, and if this is going to become a regular thing or not, whether we do it by seasons or, or years. Um, but what we are going to do is up until that point, we are going to archive everybody's stats. They'll be able to still see it. They'll be able to stay, still say, hey, this is my, you know, my first 18 months of MechWarrior online stats. But you will be set back to zero uh, when we re release the achievement system. Players will now have to uh, uh, collect everything again. So that uh, for anybody who's wanted to reset their stats, great. For all those people who are like, oh, gonna say, oh no, I have great stats. Uh, we apologize. Uh, it's, a it's a necessary evil, but you will always have your stats that you've earned up to that point and always be able to see them. We're just gonna decide how that's gonna happen. A quick follow-up. You mentioned that the basically the system is in now to where you can uh, give people rewards like mechs and, and C-bills or maybe MC, whatever. Um, is that something that's going to be when, – when can we expect to see that in the store to where we can gift friends or colleagues or whatever, that kind of stuff? Um, it's it's pretty close to being – ready um we we can't we can't gift mc and there's a couple there's some accounting reasons for it uh so it's a we can we can gift in-game items uh but uh, for tax laws and tax reasons it gets a little squirrely when we have to handle the currency so that that part won't be available however um when it comes to gifting a mech to a friend we're very very close to the functionality it, it's already in the back end we just have to create uh, an interface in the front end for it awesome and that concludes part two of the interview with Brian Ekman. Look for part three tomorrow. It'd be best if you avoid me, but I know you probably can't. You sense something is wrong with me, you can feel it on my skin, but there is more with it. Just a little off The truth is at one time I was But now I'm a robot Forever